One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 79 of Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate how everything, and we mean simply everything, even the most unexpected of subjects, has a history. Like apes, grapes, or fowl. Or. Do you mean chickens? Fowl. I mean fowl. Well, it could be either way. Mm. Either way, dependent on the spelling, an O W or an O U. We could do the history of fowls. We or could do. Fowling. Fowling, it's all about. It's good. all about you know cleaning up after dogs. <laughs> the history of cleaning up after. Or we could do. <laughs> Did you know that in Singapore? Right. So I've recently been to Singapore. When you get a new dog, they take the DNA of your dog, and so if you if your dog poos on the pavement and you don't clean it up, they can trace you using science, and then no they lock you way. up. They lock you up. Yeah. They don't find no, you. No, you don't want to be caught dealing drugs or having a dog that poos on the pavements in Singapore. I think having wandered around uh, our hometown yeah. uh, in certain times of the year, uh, I think that's very wise. I think we could do fouling. Let's do Foul- fouling, let's do fouling next. Yes. And it's what to do with po- pooing in the street, yes. whether you're humans or not. Anyway, yes. very good. On. Sorry. Or <laughs> spring, summer, autumn, winter. Easter, Christmas, Valentine's Day. We could be doing festivals and the calendrical year. Oh, yes. We could be doing all of that, Sam. Yeah. And we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of soup (laughs) is all about bathing, poor visibility, political quagmire and long-distance sea travel? Did you know that? I think we mentioned soup in our recipes podcast. Did we? But anyway, listen to that, everyone. There you are. Or that the history of tattoos... Yeah. Is about art, self-expression, and it's about true love. Mm. It's about memorialising loved ones. It's literally having your loved one's ashes ground up. Well, ashes are, of course, ground up, mixed with ink, and then tattooed onto your skin. Goodness me. We must do the history of tattoos. We must do. Uh, The man sitting opposite me is the Isaac Newton of historical gravity. It's Professor James Daybell. Hello, James. Thank you, Sam. Uh, hello. Uh, and the man sitting opposite me is the, wait for it, Rear Admiral of Historical Records. Oh. It is the truly wonderful historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Thank you, everyone. Um, so each week we kind of cook up an idea and try and get through it. <laughs> what are we cooking up this week, Sam? Well, do you remember, I, I came up with an idea. We were, we were thinking about doing an unexpected history of the Tudors book, weren't we? Oh, we were, yes. And um, I suddenly realised that there was a theme that would link Tudor portraiture with ship plans. Yes. And that theme is shrinking. It's the history of shrinking. So we decided to do the history of shrinking. <sighs> I do remember it well. And since then, I've realised that the history of shrinking can be applied to so much more than just portraiture and ship plans, which would probably blow your mind anyway. But It's um, about eggs as well. 
That's right. So we did it's that about, in we did little Easter things thing. on, on Easter, and it's about micro-writing. What's it to do with eggs, James? Explain that quickly. So it, to do with eggs, it is about uh, a miniature letter, a secret spy letter, put inside an egg Yeah. to be carried. But it's also about micro spies and micro-writing. Yeah, micro-dots. And, and um, tiny, tiny, tiny writing, you know, the sort of writing that you'd put on a grain of rice. It's also about South American uh, drugs gangs. Why, James, why would I write on a grain of rice? To immortalise that grain of rice with your name. Hmm. <laughs> I think. Have people done I, that? I don't know. They did. Almost every square you go into in a European capital, there is some person there who will write your name on a grain of rice for oh, you right. and sell it to you for a lot of money. Ah. And then you can go around. It's also about uh, the very stuff of history shrinking. It's about micro-history. Okay. So it's about rather than the sort of global history, it's about concentrating on a very small topic and sort of opening up the sort of vistas of history, shrinking down very small. And in the past, we've talked about all sorts of books like uh, Emmanuel Leroy Ladery's Montaigu, the wonderful story of uh, yes. Pyrenean villages and yes. all, sort, all sorts of other things. So focusing small, basically. So you focusing can take small. this idea of shrinking to be all sorts of things. But specifically, we began by thinking about it as in reducing the size of something. Yes. And it turns out that the Tudors are remarkably talented and very well known for thinking small. They yes. think small, they can achieve great things. And yes. um, they knew that, they embraced that, they loved that. And it's most visible in Tudor portraiture, um, particularly with Tudor miniatures. So yes. if you know anything about Tudor portraiture, there's a variety of stuff, isn't there? There's um, lots of uh, kings and queens, there's quite a few aristocrats, there's a handful of portraiture of, sort of a broader, broader section of society. But one of the key aspects of Tudor portraiture are Tudor miniatures, yeah. which were um, kind of embraced as the apogee of artistic skill. Now, we're both particularly interested in this because we live in Exeter in Devon and Nicholas Hilliard, who was the most famous, the man, the man was born and brought up in Exeter. There's a little, Excellent. There's a claim little to, another claim to fame for yeah, Exeter. Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of a wall mural down by Gandhi Street. Yes, there is. Or is it by the ship? But it's right, it's right it's down one in the of those, town. Which, which has... <laughs> Ironically, which, which, it's enormous. Which, which has him. Yes, it's huge. <laughs> they, should, they should have done it's a tiny huge. mural. Any of you interested <laughs> in, in the history of miniature portraiture in the Tudor period should be reading Roy Strong. Uh, Roy Strong's Artists of the Tudor Court, The Portrait Miniature Rediscovered. Right. 1520 to 1620. And it is, it is wonderful. It's a good overview of techniques, but also at the back of it, what's fascinating is he basically has a catalogue. The man has spent a lifetime going around uh, locating miniature portraits. I mean, and they are listed. They're hundreds. That's the extraordinary thing. So you see, yeah. I've seen you know, a couple um, up close, uh, the National Maritime Museum, maybe the Victorian Albert Museum rings yeah. a bell. And, um, oh, and the National Portrait Gallery. Yeah. And you sort of think, oh, there's a wonderful example. That must be a unique example because it's so beautifully done. But there are, there are hundreds up, of them. It's, it's completely every, mind-blowing. They crop up everywhere. They crop yeah. up everywhere. Can I have a look at that book then? You may. You may. It's also called The Art of Limning. Uh, which was a book by Hilliard that he wrote during the 1590s. And he thought that this form of painting excelleth all other painting whatsoever in sundry points in giving the true lustre of to pearl and precious stone and worketh the metals gold and silver with themselves, which so enricheth and ennobleth the work that it seemeth to be the thing itself, even the work of God and not of man. So it's this, it's this amazing skill. And I think one of, if you look at it from a sort of technical point of view, the, there's this very, very fine painting, brush brushwork, but also the way in which metallic, so gold and silver, is used in the actual 
painting of this in order to represent the jewels so yeah. that they really do they, shine. they glisten and gleam yeah. don't they they um, do so this book is that's it's 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 about three quarters of the size of a4 isn't it it's not a5 and it's got a wonderful uh, miniature Tudor portrait on the front as a as a dapper looking guy with an amazing hat leaning against a tree with some wonderful boots um above the thigh with some kind of lace tops and in the background there's a palace and some gardens and all sorts of stuff um my first point is you get no sense of, of how that relates to the actual size of the painting. No. I mean, they're ti- it, is tiny. It, so it's, it's smaller than this. Tiny. Oh, oh, tiny. Yes. Tiny, tiny, so tiny. like the We're talking area about, of a teacup. You know, I mean, the, some of these could be... I mean, some of them, Even as you smaller. know, could be tiny, so they'd fit on a on a ring uh-huh, yes. or on a locket or on a, a sort of little medallion that would be carried. You look at them... I mean, some of them are as small as a... You know, an inch. Yes. So we're not just talking about shrinking, about making things smaller. It's actually about miniaturization. It's, mini- it's miniaturization. Art. And also, I think it's also worth thinking about about this from uh, from the perspective of viewing these portraits. You know, these aren't supposed to be that. These aren't the sort of equivalent of the big Elizabethan, the portraits of Elizabeth I that are that are there for spectacular and often public display, public public defined by people at court. Um, people who come to your house, these are private yeah, and so portable, you, and po- private and portable. Yeah. So you, you, yeah, absolutely. So you might wear it on a locket around around your neck. Yes, and it's not you don't you don't wear it in a jewel as much as it is a jewel. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and you give it give it as gifts to people. The most famous example of that being the Drake jewel. Ah. But I don't want to talk about that yet. You don't. No, I'm actually quite interested in this. Oh, tell go on. Um, Carry so, on. This is the, the, the front cover of yep. the book I was talking about. Again, the book, let's, James, it says, it's artists of the Tudor court, the portrait miniature rediscovered. Um, so there's this chap leaning against a tree. What I want to do is just to look at that and think about the miniature as a historical source for other things that isn't just a miniature. Do we know who he is? Do we check the check check out who he is, this okay. guy? On James the front is now here. hunting through. So, um, yeah, just slightly twist this idea of the miniatures. So, well, miniatures are interesting and they're amazing, but... Isaac Oliver, unknown melancholy man, circa 1590 to 95. So, so if, you, of... if you looked at this miniature through a magnifying glass, you would be able to... We will put this up on our new, brand new swanky website so yes. that you'll be able to see it. Yes, we will. But I, you know, looking at this, we can look at his sword, we can look at his costume, his boots, his trousers, his hat, his... You can look at the gardens his behind rough, him. The, the landscape gardens, that's some kind of extraordinary palace. Is that a fantasy palace or a real place, do you reckon? It's probably a real place. This is the time when when Tudor gardens are sort of opening up and there's a lot of work on design of gardens. It's a place, melancholy, so it's a place of retreat. It's away from the court. What's interesting is, you have a look in the background, uh, we've got there what looks like... Um, you've got a, a sort of prodigy house. So this is this is somebody who is not at the centre of power and the centre of court. This is somebody who is retreat. This is a gentleman who has retreated to his residence in in the provinces. So it's about withdrawal. It's about melancholy. Um, you can see that kind of theme that that sort of withdrawal from power and where things are going on throughout. Um, Art, but also throughout, um, also throughout poetry. Yeah. So, I mean, I think on the one hand, he's withdrawing from society. He's gone to stay somewhere in the country, but then he's withdrawn himself from that situation, and he's gone and sat under a tree. Yes. And is that a glove? And it's about contemplation. Oh my word! You, 
I found Gad, a glove. Gadzooks, it is a glove. I thought you were pointing here to the chalk. No. We've, um, done, we've done the history of chalk God, as well. Good God, we have. We've done the history of chalk. We've done the history of gloves. We've done the history of hats. His hat is outstanding. It's the most Willy Wonka-like hat <laughs> I've ever seen. It's probably a felt felt hat. Oh, it's a felt lovely shape. It's a top velvet, hat, but with, with a hat. huge brim and a kind of tapered... Does he have pockets? Tapered chimney Does he bit. have pockets? Non, non-visible one, but we have done the oh. history of pockets. So his yes. absence of pockets is interesting. We haven't done grass or trees no, could or do, sky Ooh. or blue. Ooh, blue's good. Anyway, um, so that's one example. Um, the other very famous one is something called the Drake Jewel. So this is given to Francis Drake as a gift by Queen Elizabeth I around about 1588, so roughly the time of the Spanish Armada. And it is given as a gift to Drake for uh, having managed to sail around the world, yep. which was... Quite an astounding feat, considering that all of the best navigators at the time were either Spanish or Portuguese, and he did it in a tiny, tiny boat. Now, the Drake Jewel itself, again, we'll put this up on our website. It's historiesoftheunexpected.com, isn't it? Yes, it That's is right. Histories of the Unexpected. We've been building this, this thing for, for, for some time now, but it's got a lot of great material on it. And you can look at all of the images we discuss. And, and our wonderful intern, uh, Lee, has been for the last 18 months writing us wonderful introductions to everything. Yes. Which so is going to go up. You're going to be able to immerse yourselves in this um, wonderful, wonderful kind of miscellany. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Stuff. Um, so the Drake Jewel is interesting for a number of reasons. James, do you have a picture of the Drake Jewel there in I front do of you? have a picture of the Drake, Drake Jewel here. Um, me there too, we are. Me too. I've got one here. There we are. Let's just describe it. So on one one side of it, you have a mini Nicholas Hilliard portrait of Queen Elizabeth herself with the most enormous ruff. She looks a little bit like an octopus. Yes. It's really fra- framing her, isn't it? Yeah. Not it's a- very religious, this. You imagine this as a sort of, almost as a sort of item that a priest might wave around in church. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So it's um. You've got a kind of an oval portrait, and um, with the front that flipped down, and with a big, big pearl on it, and with quite a decorative border. The whole thing's elaborate. Um. Look how beautifully Hilliard has done her hair. Yeah. Um. That's important. She it's has a crown. The on. most intricate, tiny, um, uh, curls in her hair, and then her head is surrounded by this ruff again with the most intricate uh, lace work. Um. There's an image of a phoenix. Which is just which is on, which is at the bottom, isn't it? I imagine this is this would be closed, wouldn't it? Yes. So we, we've got a picture of it opened here, 
and then it would be closed and you wouldn't see the you wouldn't see her so what's this phoenix thing about do you know anything about that i mean there's well, there's something interesting about monarchs choosing emblems so you have louis the 14th who was the sun king yeah and you know le soleil royal and everything he had to do particularly with his ships there were images of suns everywhere um and elizabeth chose an avian emblem rising from the flames what flames the flames of her okay we don't know we don't know <laughs> No, okay. I'd love to know why she chose the phoenix and not something else. I bet there were some specific flames she had in mind. Flames of the phoenix. Yeah. Um. The you know the gosh, if anyone lived through traumatic times, it was Elizabeth. Um. Right. Let's carry on describing this jewel. Right. The other side of it is a really interesting one. You've got two kind of superimposed busts, and one of them is very distinctively an African male bust, and this has um been a wonderful source for helping people understand the, the relationship between well, Francis Drake and Elizabeth um, and the court and race and understanding um, the, the role of empire and how it was transformed and understood back in England. Um, it's specifically believed to, believed by some, I must add, to represent the, one of the Cameroons who helped Drake defeat the Spanish when he was in Central America. Um, so it's actually... It can be understood as being to do with international alliances which crossed over racial boundaries. So if you want to have a look at a miniature, go and Google the Drake Jewel because it's an absolutely fabulous example. But also Google Nicholas Hilliard miniatures um, because there's that wonderful one with the, the beautiful young man with the flames behind him. James. Oh yes, now that flames is about that is about him burning up in desire. It's about love. That it's particular man, or Hilliard, was Hilliard it's in love with him? No, no, no. The the, the sim- symbolism of flames. Oh, okay, right. And, and there are lot there are lots of lots of examples of that. It's it's, it's easily my favourite. So I think most historically significant one is this Elizabeth the First Drake jewel. But there's just a wonderful one of this guy with burning. Here up. we are. Uh, the the imagery of the phoenix, yeah. mythical bird symbolising rebirth and chastity. Hmm. So. Um, you stumped me there for a moment, but it is basically about and Elizabeth is is painted uh, with the symbolism of a phoenix in quite a few portraits. It's the styling of Elizabeth as a as the Virgin Queen, effectively. So it's part of her. It's part of her presenting as a sort of celestial monarch, so almost as a sort of divine figure who is also chaste, so unmarried, uh, no children. Yeah, and it's sort of it's sort of creating her as this sort of almost like goddess like like figure. We should do the unexpected history of birds, James. I think we should do several birds. Okay. We should have a bird a bird theme. Ooh. My daughter is going to my young daughter is going to twitch us at the moment. Is she? I'm gonna ask her what bird she wants us to do. I think we should do the robin. I think we should do the owl and the eagle. What about the crow? The crow would be good. Yeah. Um Raven. Ooh, oh, I know. Raven. I've been doing something about ravens recently. Why? What? What, what have you been doing about ravens? I don't know. Um, You've been writing about ravens. No pets. Did we not do something on cats and dogs? People had ravens. Oh, scare, crows. scare birds, chimneys. No, it's companions. So, so anything of the corvid family, they're, they're easily biddable. They tra- you can train them. They're like they're really, really good, great companions. They weren't. We basically, do. they don't. Archaeological evidence suggests that those birds were not kept for food. They'd like something they found in York, I'm talking off the top of my head now, has made archaeologists reconsider the relationship between humans and, the, and any sort of corvid bird, but basically ravens and crows. And they think they were kept as pets rather than as food because they're really good company. Ravens are good company. We, we, should, ask, we should ask a beef eater. I want to get one. You want to get what for here? Yeah. 
was a little pet. Yeah, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like a. What would I like? Not a budgerigar or something. That we should do the budgie. Well, we've got to do parrots on shoulders. What on earth is that parrots. about? Pirates, parrots on shoulders. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do parrots as a way to get into pirates. Parrots and pirates. Yes, perfect. Mm. <laughs> perfect. Right, well, we're waffling now. <laughs> no, we're not. This is, this is, this is important we should, stuff. We should have an avian uh, theme. Write it down on our big list okay. of ridiculous ideas, James. Okay, birds. Birds. I'm, I'm, I'm pretending to write now. Okay. I, I, have, I do not have a stylus near um, me. Have you got anything more on port on on miniatures? Do you know what? I'm quite keen to just go through and describe a couple more of those in that okay. book. What have we got here? Let's get some colour ones. Uh, lots, lots of queens. Yes. Uh, I'll get something sort of ah. Here we are. Look at this. Um, this is attributed to Robert Peake, Eliza Triumphant, circa 1600. Um, look at that. Oh my god, and that's that amazing. Would... That could be. That could be twenty feet by twenty feet. It's, yes. So there are top of my head one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, there are thirty, forty people in that. I mean, this obviously wouldn't be the kind of oh, no, more 40, 50. 40 or fifty. So yeah. Elizabeth is being carried along uh, in a sort of throne-like box. Uh, she's escorted by courtiers, her bodyguard, her ladies in waiting are all there. This is obviously a sort of an entrance into or out of somewhere on progress. Um, but, you know, she's at the near the end of her life and looking, you know, pretty young here. I mean, it just shows the kind of skill that painters would have had. Just look at the detailed work on these uh, these. Um, does it have dimensions? Ladies there? dresses. It doesn't have dimensions on this page, but I'm I'm you've caught me on the hop. Of course, this so is um, memorized <laughs> the, the dimensions. dimensions of, uh... But what it isn't, it's not it's not a, a sort of the kind of little portrait that would go into a locket. Yeah. But this, I imagine, would be a few centimetres, a couple of, in, you know, a few inches. But the point is, we're talking about different types of miniatures here. So there are miniatures yep. that go into lockets, which are about the size of a of a 50p piece. Yeah. Um, then you have ones like that, which is a more of a, a smaller painting. But then, of course, you have them in illustrated, manu- uh, illuminated manuscripts as well. And this is where the tradition comes from, is it not? It's 12th, 13th, 14th century monks illuminating manuscripts yes, yes. with little bits of detail. Um, we often have talked about, we, we've used evidence from manuscripts, haven't we? We have. In all sorts oh, of totally. things. Um, I'm just off the top of my head, there's the, ooh, isn't there an image of a snowman that's kind of cool? Yes, there is. A tiny little snowman doodle on a on a manuscript. No, I mean, follow the work of Eric Quackle, uh, who's a professor at Leiden, I think, okay. who seems to have spent the last five years just trawling through manuscript libraries around the world looking at all medieval manuscripts and recording any sort of interesting visual features. Okay. So we've used him when we've looked at dragons and we used his stuff when we looked at holes. He has a brilliant blog. Holes, that's because he found a hole in a manuscript which had then been doodled around in a tiny little thing. So whether it's making eyes out of it or a monster or a face. Yes. Okay, I found it. 220. So it's 22 centimetres by two twenty six centimetres. This is that this this yes. one with sixty or so people. And it's at the British it's at the British Museum. Okay. Has it got a title so, there? Uh Eliza Triumphants. Right. Eliza Triumphants. So everyone have a look at that. See if you can count how many faces. I noticed there were some various faces kind of looming at the back. So there are there are the, the crowd are in three rows, four rows and then just four, four, five rows. Four, five yes. rows. If the point is, there are tiny heads yes. magically appearing, and you'd be you'd be dumbstruck at the skill of this thing if it was twenty foot. And then people long. behind. 
not only of all of these faces, so there are 60 people or so, we reckon, um, and every single face has been beautifully and immaculately drawn um, differently. It slightly reminds me of the Terracotta Army, because I've just been there. <laughs> Uh, and also the legs, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. There are 20, 23 individual legs here. We should do legs. Do we should do the legs. history of legs. Um, each of these legs... There's the politics of legs, did you know? Let me finish describing these legs. Um, each one has a different pair of shoes on. They've got decorative um, kind of buckles just under the knee. They've got lace around the mid-thigh. Um, there's a whole host of, of symbolism and fashion going on here in the Tudor court, all revealed through a shrunken painting. Tell me about the politics of legs. The politics of legs is all about dancing, coded dancing in what, legs. What does that mean? So in terms of how you dance, the legwork that you have uh, has, okay. has hidden political messages Amazing. in it about who, you, you know, about who the favourites are, Okay, all sorts of things. We should definitely James do that. Knowles... Yes. The wonderful James Knowles has written all about it. Jacobean court mm. and legs. Good, good, good. And tights as well. This has made me want to collect Tudor miniatures. You know, we... I imagine they're incredibly expensive, Sam. I bet they are incredibly expensive. I wonder if there are any available on the market. I imagine that I imagine there are. At <laughs> 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 the right place. Sotheby's and, and other such places. Um this has been very entertaining. Have you got anything else to say about Tudor miniatures? Absolutely nothing. I'm, no. I'm all out. Oh, the only thing I've got is an observation, is that the Tudors were really good at really big things as well. Yes. So I think that it's quite an interesting contrast between the monstrous palaces that were built, the monstrous ships that were built, um, and then these this kind of embracing of shrunken art, tiny little things. I love that. I think it's really good. Um we were going to do much more. We've actually got much more to say. I have got a lot to say about ship plans, um, which were also shrunken during the Tudor period. It's um, all to do with shrinking ships. Um, I've got quite a lot to say about shrunken cities. I have a lot to say about shrunken heads. Oh, I just went to the Pitt Rivers Museum oh, I a love few the weeks Pitt ago. Rivers Museum. It's superb, and it's full of Amazonian shrunken heads. Also, uh, dolls' houses. Oh, brilliant! I was going to talk about dolls' houses. Well, and I, micro writing. Ah, this comes back to your writing on grains of rice. It does. Yeah. Let's come back to that then. Um, everyone listen to uh, Shrinking Part 2, which will be coming your way soon. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts from. We are on Twitter. You can follow Sam on at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me on at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at Unexpected Pod. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. That's right. And we've got some live shows coming soon. And we've got a book coming soon. We do. And, and a website Way. coming soon. So um, everyone just find us online and get in touch with us and um, tell us what you think about shrinking. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.